Turn, if you would, to the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians. This is our 16th lesson, and it is our last lesson in the book of Ephesians. If you're curious about where we're headed next, you can just keep reading, because from Ephesians, we're going to go to Philippians. So you can just kind of keep flipping the pages in your Bible, because that's the next book of the Bible. I had a fun time this week. We had our nine-month-old grandson over, and he is uh, mastering the art of crawling. Well, for Christmas, I had received a radio-controlled tiger tank. It's not real big, but I started it up, and he spent quite a bit of time chasing it around the house. Uh, he would crawl after it, and one time he actually did catch it, but uh, the tank did survive, so that was a lot of fun watching him. Last week's lesson was about the armor of God. Remember, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we spent a little bit of time talking about each of those. But the main conclusion of last week's lesson was the fact that we are engaged in a war. We are not engaged in a war against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces. And God has provided everything that we need to fight this war, and that is the armor of God. But we are commanded to put on the armor that God has provided. It's not our armor, it's God's armor that he has provided for us. And having done so, we are to stand where God has placed us. We are not to run away from the conflict that is in front of us. The question is, once again, do we, will we, put on the armor of God that God has provided for us? Now, oftentimes when people talk about the armor of God, they include verse 18 as part of that armor. And that's where we're going to pick up today's lesson. Verse 18 says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Oftentimes, as I said, people refer to this as all prayer. That is, praying at all times, as you've put on the armor of God, as you've prepared for the battle, you acknowledge the fact that you still can't do it apart from the power that God provides. So, we are told to pray at all times in the Spirit. Now, there's a couple of different ways of looking at that. That is, pray at all times, or pray at all times in the Spirit. That is, whenever you're praying, make sure that you're praying in the Spirit. So, what does all of this mean for us? So, praying at all times in the Spirit with prayer and supplication. What is supplication? Supplication is the act of asking or really begging for something earnestly and humbly. We ask God for help, and we know that God can and is willing to provide it for us. But we need to acknowledge our need for what only God can provide. Once again, the armor is God's armor, and we need that armor to survive the battle that is before us. So we are to pray at all times. <sighs> Quick question. 
What does all times mean? Well, you would think it means all time, and that's probably right. Remember in 1 Timothy, we are told to pray without ceasing. I don't know about you, but um, I have trouble with that at times. I mean, sometimes I'm thinking about this, sometimes I'm thinking about that. And I think what it is saying is that prayer should be an integral part of our life, that it should encompass all of our lives. Now, I know what you're thinking because I do the same thing, which is I go through life and then when I hit something that I can't take care of on my own, I just can't do it. Usually it's some difficulty or some major choice that I don't know the answer to. Then I will pray. Then I will go, God, what should I do? But what, what God wants from us is a continuous prayer. Why? Because we are continually in the battle. You see, the problem is, is that we oftentimes don't acknowledge the fact that we're in the middle of the battle when things appear to be going well. Things are going well, so we go, oh, I don't need God right now. God, I'm doing okay by myself. And God doesn't, that, and we don't realize that God is trying to tell us, no, even now you are vulnerable to the enemy. In fact, you could almost argue that you're more vulnerable to the enemy when you don't know what is going on. And that's the next phrase. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Well, what does it mean to be alert? It means that you're constantly looking around, checking out the environment, trying to figure out what needs to be done, trying to figure out what dangers are around you. And that is being alert. What is the opposite of that? Well, the obvious opposite of that is being asleep, being unaware of your surroundings, not acknowledging the danger that is facing you. So this is what happens. I am engaged in this battle with not flesh and blood, but with the spiritual realm, and I don't know it. I am not alert. I am not paying attention. God, what is the danger in this situation? God, how should I handle this particular situation? We don't have that ongoing conversation with God because we think everything is okay. We think everything is in control, under control. We think that in this situation, I can handle it without you, God. And God is telling us, no, you can't. So we are to pray at all times in the spirit. Well, what does that mean? That means our spirit communi communicating with God about what is going on in the world around us, in my environment right now. We're told elsewhere that our spirit sometimes communicates with God when we don't even know what to say. We are so caught up in some situation and our spirit can intercede on our behalf. Praying at all times in the spirit. Why at all times? Well, I just said that. The reason why is that is because we are always in the battle. When you don't think you're in the battle, you're not going to be alert. If you're not alert, you're not going to be communicating with, to use the analogy, the commander-in-chief who has provided the armor for you. Pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Asking God. You see, we want, 
We desperately want to be self-sufficient. You know, if things get real tough, God, then I'll ask you. But we know, or we ought to know, that on a moment-by-moment basis, we need God to make us aware of the situation we're in, make us aware of what we're supposed to be doing in this situation, and to prepare us for the danger that is in this particular situation. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Well, what is perseverance? It means to keep after it. You know, we think, okay, I'll be alert because I'm in this difficult situation. And that's good. We should be alert in what we know is the difficult situation. But we are to persevere in that alertness. We are to be alert even when we don't know, because then we are susceptible to the arrows of the demonic forces. So keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Uh, Multiple times in the course of this book, we have talked about the word saint. You know that we have this idea that the saints are those believers who are way up here. I mean, they've done great things. They have moved mountains with their faith. They have wonderful prayer lives. And we think, okay, why am I praying for those people? Well, the reality is when the New Testament talks about saints, it's talking about all of us, wherever we are on that maturity path. Being in Christ We are all saints. So who are we to pray for? In this particular passage, it's telling us, it's reminding us to pray for our fellow Christian believers. Now, it's interesting because Paul is sitting here in prison writing this to the church at Ephesus. That's why in the verses that are following, he's going to ask them to pray for him. But he needs them to, to continue to pray for him in the same way that he is continuing to pray for them. Why should he pray for them? They're not the ones in prison. Well, he knows, because we've seen this earlier in the book, he knows that they are discouraged because here is their spiritual leader locked away in prison. And he knows that he needs to pray for them so that they will not be discouraged because even in prison, the gospel is being shared. So we as believers need to pray, make supplications for other believers. Now, what does that mean? What can we pray for them? Well, one immediate thing that we get from this passage is we can pray that our fellow believers will put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and carry the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is something that we can pray for every believer because we know, well, sometimes we don't know what difficulties other believers are going through. You know, sometimes we hide our difficulties and we know that others are going through their own struggles and difficulties, and we need to pray, when? Continually for fellow believers. So, to that end, keep alert. Keep alert to the situation that you're in. Now, this is not a call to be paranoid, 
This is a call to acknowledge the fact that God has placed you in a particular situation, and in that situation, you have particular responsibilities, and in that situation, you have particular temptations to do things other than what God has called you to do. And you need prayer, and others need prayer, because they're in the same situation. The beautiful thing is, is that God has provided us, God has provided them with what they need to win the battle in that particular situation. Now, does that mean that everything's going to be easy for them? Well, no. In fact, as we've said repeatedly, Paul is in prison in Rome when he's writing this. And in fact, He's in prison when he's writing Philippians, which we're going to cover next. And what is he going to talk about in Philippians? Joy. He's in prison doing the work of God in the place God has put him. And he knows that that's where he's supposed to be. It may not be where he wants to be. In fact, we'll see that in Philippians that uh, he's kind of not sure where he wants to be. If he dies, great. If he doesn't die, okay, I can continue to do what God would have me to do. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me. Remember to pray for me. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. What is the mystery of the gospel? Well, we know what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ has paid the penalty of our sins and provided us a means of being right with God. That's the gospel. The mystery that we have spent so much time in the book of Ephesians talking about is that a Gentile and a Jew can be joined together in Christ in the church. That is the body of Christ. The mystery is that the Jew and the Gentile are both going to be brought together through the gospel. And he is praying that he will be given clear words, that he can be have words that will show the mystery of the gospel to whoever he's talking to. So he needs boldness to proclaim, and he needs the right words to meet the needs of the audience or the person that he's talking to at that particular moment. We've talked about this in this lesson. In fact, I think we talked about it last week because of the connection with the armor. For part of his uh, imprisonment, he is actually chained to a Roman soldier. And you know what? This would be a horrible thing. I mean, here you are, a nice Jew, and you're connected to this dirty, filthy, pagan Roman soldier. But Paul didn't see it that way. Paul viewed it as an opportunity. He had a captive audience of one. And guess what? That one wasn't getting away for four hours. And guess what? He was winning them to Christ one at a time. In fact, later he will talk about the members of the Praetorian Guard, that is Caesar's guards, who have become believers. You know what? 
If you're a pagan and uh, atheist and have no interest in the things of, of God, I'm not sure you'd want to be chained to Paul for four hours at a time. You're doomed. It'd be like being chained to Billy Graham for four hours. You don't stand a chance. And Paul wants them to know, continue to pray that I will boldly, even though I'm chained, that I will boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel to whoever is at the other end of the chain. We see it right here. Verse 20, for which I am an ambassador in chains. That's an interesting analogy because it's kind of mixing things up. We think as an, an ambassador is somebody important going to another country to represent our country in that foreign land. And that's true. We are called to be ambassadors. This world is not our home. As the hymn says, this world is not our home. I'm just passing through. Do we believe that? Paul believed that. He was an ambassador, but he wasn't some ambassador living in some real nice um, residence, embassy, or anything like that. He was an ambassador in chains, and that's why he needs their prayer. He is an ambassador who is being held captive in this land where he was sent to preach the gospel that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He knows what he's supposed to do. Now, I'm not Paul. You're not Paul. But let me speculate a little bit. Have you ever prayed that God would make you bold to proclaim the gospel? Most of us are scared to death of doing it. Most of us don't want to have anything to do with it. Most of us want to avoid the subject because, well, who knows what they'll say about us if we do. Now, I do acknowledge the fact that there are introverts and there are extroverts and there's people who are used to, you know, boldly saying things. But each and every one of us needs to be open to presenting the gospel in the situation where God has placed you. You may not be an extrovert who can stand up and just yell and scream, this is what you ought to do. But God has put you somewhere around someone and you may be the one that God is using to communicate the gospel to that person. So each of us should be bold when God gives us the opportunity to present the gospel. So, we are praying. Paul is encouraging us to pray. He is encouraging us to offer supplications to God. We need to be alert. We need to persevere so that we will be ready in this conflict, in this world where God has placed us. For I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it, the gospel, boldly as I ought to speak. So that you may know, may also know how I am, how I am, and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. The odds are this is the person who's delivering the letter. He has been with Paul, and Paul is sending the letter 
and Tychicus back to the church at Ephesus. The odds are he's going to make the journey around Asia Minor, talking to the different churches, so that he can communicate to them how he, Paul, is doing. The fact that he is still proclaiming the gospel, he's still doing the work that God has given him to do. What does he say about Tychicus? He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister. You know, that's a good thing to say about someone. They are faithfully operating where God has placed them. Now, we don't have books written by Tychicus. We don't know much about him. At least I don't know much about him. I'm sure someone knows a lot more than I do. But he is faithful to do what God has called him to do. He is helping Paul in Paul's ministry by taking the messages to the church at Ephesus and by encouraging them, by telling them how Paul is doing. Now, this is kind of important because it would be real easy, it would be real easy to show up at Ephesus and go, you know, Paul is in chains. Paul is in a wretched place. He's in a jail. He's in a prison. He's in this and that. And to emphasize all the negative things that are happening to Paul. And you can imagine the church at Ephesus going, oh no, what do we do? But that's not what Paul wants them to know. What Paul wants them to know that is that he is boldly sharing the gospel. Where he is at that particular time, he is boldly sharing the gospel. And that's what he wants Tychicus to tell the churches in Asia Minor. I have sent him to you for this purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Now, once again, let's keep thinking about this. Here's Paul in prison sending encouragement to those who are not in prison in Asia Minor. Doesn't that seem a little backwards? Don't you think somebody should be sending encouragement to Paul instead of Paul sending the encouragement the other direction? But once again, Paul is where God wants him to be. Paul is doing what God wants him to do. What more encouragement does he need? Now, I will say he probably does need some encouragement. That's why he asked them to pray for him. None of us are above and beyond the position where we need to be prayed for. And Paul knows that. But Paul is encouraged because of the success that he is seeing spreading the gospel. We'll actually have more about this as we work through the book of Philippians. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Since Paul is in prison for sharing the gospel, you might think the church would be discouraged and they need encouragement. Don't we all? All of us need to be encouraged in what we're doing. That's why we are told to pray. For all the saints, we are told to pray. We are to be alert and we are to persevere in our prayer. So now we get to the conclusion of the book. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith 
from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace be to the community of believers. This I would take to be those of us who are in Christ, whether they are Jew or Gentile. Peace. What does peace mean? Well, we talked about this actually last week, I think. Peace means a right relationship with God and a right relationship with each other. Sometimes we live such individualistic lives that if I have some problem with another Christian, I'll just walk away. I mean, there's lots of Christians other places. I don't need them. But we are called to live lives at peace with one another. And in fact, with those outside the church, we are called to live at peace as much as it is possible. Now, the acknowledgement is it might not be possible, but if there is no peace, it should not be our problem. So Paul is telling the church that you need to have peace one with another. We need to have peace together and we need to have love with faith. Now, this is interesting because you know, we can talk about love, and we talk about love a lot, and we can talk about faith, and we talk about faith a lot. But he mentions it as love with faith. This is love that stands on the promises, that stands on the belief that God is going to fulfill his promises. That kind of faith can produce a certain kind of love, because that love has a foundation of the promises of God. It is interesting. All of last week's lesson and the beginning of this, we talked about this war that we're having. The fact that we need to put on the armor. We need to be alert. We need to persevere. But the promise that we are given is that God is going to win the fight. That's the promise. I've always been amazed at Joshua going into the promised land. Uh, Moses, when he appointed Joshua to be his successor, told him, be strong and courageous. Then God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. Then the people tell Joshua, be strong and courageous. But God had already told them they were going to win the battle. They were going to take over the land. They were going to kick out the people that were there. Well, if you know that God is going to win the battle, why do you need to be strong and courageous? Because it's still a battle. We need, like Joshua, to be strong and courageous. We need to prepare by putting on the armor of God. But our faith tells us that we're going to win the battle that God is going to win the battle. Therefore, we are to demonstrate love because of the promises that God has given to us. Do you see how all of that is connected together? Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Who does all of this come from? Who does the peace come from? Where does the love come from? It comes from God the Father, and it comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. I think in verse 2 or 3 of the book, he prayed for grace for the church at Ephesus. So he begins with grace and he ends with grace because that's what we all need. 
I have mentioned before that sometimes we have this false idea that grace is something that you need in order to be saved. And once you are saved, well, you know, it's not that big a deal. I was saved by grace, but you know, I'll take it from here. The reality is we as believers are saved by grace and every day of our lives, we need to live lives of grace. We need to acknowledge that we need God's grace continually, and we need to give God's grace to those around us. We need to show them the grace that God has shown to us. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. What does it mean incorruptible? Well, it's not mixed. You know, I kind of have a little bit of love and I have a little bit of selfish ambition and I have a lot of just laziness and I have a little bit of that and all this gets put in a blender and I've got love that's, well, sort of, not really, maybe, kind of, love. We are to be pure in heart is what we're told in the Beatitudes. What is purity of heart? It is love that is incorruptible. And I might add, where do we get that love? Well, we get that love from the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus loves us with an incorruptible love. And we are told to love imitating Christ as love not mixed with other things. So that brings us to the conclusion of the book of Ephesians. So I thought we'd run through the book one more time pretty quickly, looking at one verse or two from each of the 16 lessons that we did. We began the book in chapter one with a long discussion about Ephesus and where it was located and all of that stuff. But in verse three of chapter one, it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing. And we see through the remainder of chapter one and into chapter two, kind of a list of these spiritual blessings. You see, we sit there and think, okay, well, I don't have the car that I want. I don't have the money that I want. I don't have the influence I want. God, what have you done for me today? Well, what God has done for you is he has given you, as a believer, those who are in Jesus Christ, he has given us every spiritual blessing, everything that we need to be right with God, Christ has given us. And we need to acknowledge that. We need to live in that promise. We need to acknowledge that I have what I need to be right with God every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Our second lesson was a little more complicated because uh, we started with verse five and he says, he has predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And we actually had a lesson about predestination. What does that mean? Uh, the fact that God chooses us. And to me, the takeaway that we get from that is that salvation begins and ends with God. 
God starts it. God moves first. You see, I like to think that, you know, I'm kind of a special guy and God, well, he really needed me. And God was sitting over there waiting for me to do the right thing. When in reality, God was seeking me long before I was seeking God. Salvation begins and ends with God. In the third lesson, in verse 9, we talked about of chapter 1. We talked about making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. And that's where we begin to see this idea that the church is made up of believers who are Jews and believers who are Gentiles brought together. It's not that there is a church for the Jew and a church for the Gentile who's following after Christ. No, we are one body The Jews were kicked out of their Jewish community and the Gentiles were kicked out of their pagan community and they came together in the body of Christ, which is a mystery that was hidden. It's not a mystery like a whodunit, a murder mystery. It's a mystery as God has not revealed this until this point in time. The fourth lesson, chapter two, verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us. Remember, it begins with this idea that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And it gets to the point, it says, but God, but God, all of our problems are overcome by God, but God who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. One of the questions that I've always struggled with, why does God put up with us? Why does God want to save us? Why does he care? Why does he save Noah? Why doesn't he just wipe them all out? It is because of his mercy and his love. The fifth lesson, we continued with our discussion about salvation, remembering, and he's talking to the Gentiles at this point, remembering that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. The Jews at least had a covenant relationship with God. Now, we know that they refused to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah, but at least they had the start of a covenant relationship. You Gentile, not you Gentile, me Gentile, us Gentiles. We, the Gentiles, were alien from all of that. We were alienated from God and his purposes. We were strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope. We didn't have any hope. God had to move to give us hope. The sixth lesson in chapter 3, verse 6, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. There it is. The mystery that we hinted at up earlier, here it is. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. There is no distinction in the eyes of Christ between a Jewish Christian and a Gentile Christian. We are all members of the body of Christ. The seventh lesson, we started uh, chapter four with, I therefore a prisoner of the Lord 
urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Remember, this book is broken up into two halves. Chapters 1 to 3 is the doctrinal, the theology, if you will. And 4 to 6 is, okay, what do you do about it? How are you supposed to live your life? And what he begins with, I, a prisoner, urge you to be worthy of the calling by which you have been called. And we had a discussion about what it means to be called, that God has called us to walk our lives in a particular way. And that's what he's going to talk about in the rest of the book. In fact, we spent a lot of time talking about that in chapter 9, in the ninth lesson, not chapter 9, the ninth lesson, when he tells us to put off our old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and corrupt through deceitful desires, and to put on the new. We put off certain things, we no longer work as, walk as Gentiles, and we put on something, we walk in the gospel of Christ. So that's lesson nine, but between seven and nine, obviously, is eight. And he tells us, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And we talked about the strange idea that the purpose of the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers is not to do the work of God, although they do that. Their job is to prepare you and me to do the work of God, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, they're doing the work of ministry where God has called them, but he's also called you and he's also called me. And he has put these people with us to help us, to teach us, to encourage us to do the work that God has called us to do. Now, don't think that this means, oh, therefore I need to be an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a shepherd, and a teacher. Maybe you weren't called to do that. I keep saying this over and over again. But God has put you somewhere. Be what God wants you to be in the place where God has put you. God has put you someplace to do the work of ministry that the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, and the teacher may not be able to get into. You may be able to get someplace that they can't. So their job is to equip so that you can do the work of ministry. The 10th lesson Back to this in the ninth lesson, putting off and putting on. The tenth lesson said, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. These are the things that we are to get rid of. And I don't know about you, but I have my moments of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor. Clamor is just stirring up trouble. You know, we get into a political discussion and all I want to do is stir things up. Well, that's not helping the situation. Clamor and slander, all of that needs to be put away, along with malice. And the 11th lesson, we talked about verse 6 in chapter 5. It said, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. You know, you and I think that we can get away with doing the stuff that God has told us not to do. 
But he's telling us, don't be deceived. Don't let people tell you, oh, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how you live your life. It doesn't matter whether you do or don't do the things of God. It does matter. Don't be deceived and think that there are no consequences for the sons of disobedience. I know you and I, we see people who are not believers and they're living lifestyles that we just can't believe. And we go, how can they live that life? And society tells them, it's okay. Do what you want to do. Live for you. And God says, don't be deceived. Judgment will come. Rather, 12th lesson, verse 8 of chapter 5 at one time, you, you and I, were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Therefore, walk as children of light. So there is this picture given of darkness and light. Light means that, well, the light bulb has gone off in our head. We see the path before us. Remember, we talked about you walk into a dark room. You walk into a dark room that you've never been into before. And you're stumbling around. You're walking into the furniture. You're walking into this wall. And you can't find the door. You can't find your way out. But if you turn on the light, all of a sudden it becomes clear. Those who are living apart from God are living in darkness. Spiritual darkness and they are stumbling around running into things all the time but when we turn on the life that god has given to the believers now we can see the stumbling blocks we can see ooh, i shouldn't trip over that ooh, i shouldn't run into that and we do that through the word of god so we are called to walk as children of light and that lesson ended with a discussion about submit yourself one to another. <gasps> That's a horrible thing that we don't like. And we had a long discussion about why today the word submission is such a bad idea. I mean, it's such a bad word. People don't like talking about it. But when we submit to God, God tells us to submit to others. In fact, he in the rest of that chapter and into the next chapter, gives three examples of how this works in the real world. He talks about wives submitting, he talks about children obeying, and he talks about employees listening to their employers. So lesson 13, we talked about wives submitting to their husbands as to the Lord, and husbands loving your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So we have mutual obligation, submit, and love. Now, I know what you're thinking, and we talked about this in that lesson. That doesn't feel very balanced. Submit is horrible in today's world, and love, well, everybody loves love. Well, the reality is everybody doesn't love love. Everybody uses the word love for that which brings me my desires. But that's not the love that's being talked about. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I tell our mentoring couples, we hate the word submit. And I am convinced that if we truly understood the meaning of the word love, we'd hate that word too. But we don't. We love it. We love the word love. 
because we have a very small definition of what love is. Love is that which brings me happiness. But that's not the biblical definition at all. The husband is to love his wife and be willing to give himself up for her. The 14th lesson, uh, chapter 6, verse 7, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Remember, we finished all of these examples of husband, wife, children, parents, employer, or employee. And at the end of it, it says, rendering to service, doing what you need to do with a good will as if you are doing it to the Lord. Everything that you do, you ought to be doing as if you're doing it for the Lord, not for man. Why? Because God has put you someplace and God expects you to do what you need to do in that particular situation. We are to live our lives for the glory of God, rendering service with a good will. I know that there are lots of times where I've done the right thing, but I haven't exactly done it with good will. It's like, okay, if I have to, I'll do what you want me to do. Well, that's not doing it out of good will. Then last week, uh, our lesson, we talked about putting on the entire armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And we talked about that and what it means to be in conflict, what it means to be at war with the devil, how we identify the schemes of the devil, etc. We had a brief discussion and then we had a discussion about the parts of the armor that God has provided for us so that we can win the battle. And finally, today's lesson, the verse that I chose was praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Everything we do, we are called to do it in prayer. And I don't know about you, but I have difficulty doing that at times. So that brings us to the end of the book of Ephesians. Uh, next week, we will start Philippians chapter 1. See you then.